0: Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free.
1: Listener supported WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Manouche, the host of Note to Self, the show that looks at how technology is changing our everyday lives. Watch this space for new episodes coming soon, but right now you are about to hear one of our most favorite episodes ever. If you're hearing it for the first time, enjoy. If you've heard it before, it might sound different with all the recent headlines about privacy, data, and democracy. There's a lot shifting right now. Meanwhile, if you want to discuss further or just be in touch, you can always reach me at ManoushZ, M-A-N-O-U-S-H-Z, on Twitter or at ManoushZ.com. For now, thanks for listening. Wait, I feel nervous. How are we going to know when we've crossed over from the regular web to the dark web? Well, we're still just in Reddit. Oh. (laughs) Note to self producer Kat Aaron and I wanted to finally see it for ourselves. The Dark Web. It's a place online that you need special software called Tor, T O R, to access. It's where websites live that Google would never index, and no one on there knows who you are. Dark Web. Deep web, dark web. They're different, I learned. They are
0: different. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, The deep web is all of the sites that are not accessible from Google. They're not the web that most people spend most of their time on. And then the dark web is kind of like where the bad stuff happens.
1: I don't know what I'm expecting. Click. We decided to start on one of the marketplaces on the dark web. We chose Hansa Market, but there are many others on there. Sites where people can buy and sell mostly illegal things like social security numbers, and of course, drugs. So we're in the drugs section. Can I just say that? Like on Amazon, where it has categories like books, housewares, kids' toys, beauty products. The categories here are cannabis, opioids, steroids, psychedelic prescriptions, stimulants.
0: The first listing that comes up is for a thousand ecstasy pills for about $1,800 or 0. 0.7 Bitcoin. There's cocaine,
1: there's LSD. LSD. The very best five Percocet 30 milligram pills, US pharmacy sourced best value for your hard-earned bunny. These bad boys pack a real punch for all you Roxy Bean heads out there. They are smokable, too! These are 100% real U.S. pharmacy sourced and not from some random asshole with a pill press and some fent in his mom's basement. Nice.
0: And the sellers have ratings. Oh,
1: Yeah. Sort
0: of akin to Amazon.
1: Ships from Germany. Ships from the Netherlands. Ships from the United States.
0: We're in the opioids section.
1: This listing is for one gram of very good heroin. And there's like a picture of it. It just looks like gravel. By purchasing one of my meth listings, you agree not to dispute a transaction because your shards arrived as crumbles thanks to the U.S. Postal Service. I guess I expected it to have like gothic type font or something that would indicate evil lives here but it's not it's completely and utterly normal it looks like a cross between Amazon and Facebook but it just happens to be selling heroin and I mean we didn't even go into like the good reasons why you would want to be on here yeah we won't do that this one's about the dark side Just to be clear, less nefarious things do happen on the dark web, too. Governments can communicate safely with each other, dissidents can organize anonymously, and journalists can talk to their sources. But note to self the dark stuff going on on the dark web is very dark. And in fact, you can draw a line from this easy to access, secretive place on the internet straight to real life and the drug, specifically opioid, epidemic destroying lives across our country. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and today I'm talking to one of my favorite writers who will explain.
0: My name is Nick Bilton.
1: Nick Bilton's book is called American Kingpin.
0: The epic hunt for the criminal mastermind behind the Silk Road.
1: It is a page-turner full of real-life illegal escapades and narrow escapes, but it is much more than that. This book actually explains in a bigger way how our country's growing opioid problem is also a tech problem. Millions of little pills synthetically made to be up to 100 times more powerful than morphine or heroin are available on the dark web right now. But it all starts six or seven years ago with the story of a young libertarian named Ross Albrecht and a website that he created all because he wanted to show the world that he could do something great.
0: Ross is the ultimate Breaking Bad story, quite literally. He starts off as this kid in Austin, Texas, born in a middle class, upper middle class family. Parents went to church on weekends and so on and so forth. He grew up volunteering and saving stray animals, and he ends up becoming a physicist, goes to school to study physics in Penn State, and he gets really into libertarian politics, which is essentially the political belief that is driving forward most of the stuff going on in Silicon Valley and a lot of actually republicanism these days.
1: Ross believes that the government shouldn't be able to tell you what you can and cannot do with your own body.
0: And if you want to take drugs, then you should be able to. And if you wanted to kill yourself, you should be able to. And if you want to buy and sell heroin or marijuana or something like that, then you should be able to. His response to figure out how to kind of solve this is actually an altruistic one. He believes that if you build a... A marketplace where anyone can buy and sell these things legally, that they won't end up in jail and they won't end up being killed and drug deals gone awry. And so he builds this website, calls it the Silk Road on the dark web, and opens for business.
1: You may have heard of the Silk Road. It was big news in 2013 when the government finally found out who was behind it and took it down. But before we get to that, it's important to understand more behind Ross's motivation.
0: It's something that afflicts a lot of people in both Silicon Valley, but also in the age that we live in today. The ultimate person that people now look up to is Steve Jobs, who, quote-unquote, put a dent in the universe. And I think that there is a generation of people that want to feel like they've done the same thing, that they want to be remembered when they go as as being some great person. And Ross Ulbricht was one of those people, and he— tried all these different projects that did not work out, from building a online bookstore that sold used books to editing science papers to you name it. At the end of the day, what ended up working was this drug website, and it worked in a way that he never, ever, ever would have imagined.
1: You describe him basically working for days, weeks on end in his underwear, building something that's like a cross between Amazon and eBay run by Bitcoin and encrypted all by himself.
0: Yeah, you can agree or disagree with Ross's philosophies, but one thing that's hard to disagree with is his level of genius. I mean, he was able to build this website, as you said, by himself. Most startups in Silicon Valley— that are building like a photo filter app have two dozen employees that are, you know, the front end and the back end programmers, the UI specialists and the marketing team and the CEO and the, you name it. And Ross was a startup of one. And it just so happened that he chose to try to change the drug and gun industry rather than change the taxi or hotel industry. This is early 2011, and by June of 2011, Gawker and the now defunct blog wrote a blog post about this website where you could buy and sell any drug imaginable. And at the time, I mean, it may seem like, oh, okay, cool, that's normal now, but at the time, it was staggering. It was like. It was just brazen that anyone had ever thought of doing this, and the reason you could do it then versus not being able to do it a decade or five years before was because of the invention of Bitcoin, which is essentially digital cash that can't be traced on the internet, at least that's what they thought. And so after the Gawker article comes out, Chuck Schumer and another senator hold a press conference. They demand that the DOJ starts looking for whoever created the site, gets the DEA involved, and the Department of Homeland Security starts looking into it. And and next thing you know, it's every agency with a three-letter acronym around the world. And he is kind of plagued because he truly believes this is his life's work, that he's been put on this earth to show that legalizing drugs will make the world a safer and better place – And yet, he doesn't want to get caught and spend the rest of his life in jail. And by the end of it, he believes that he will never be caught, and that he's too smart for anyone to ever figure out who actually built and ran the site.
1: Nick says that Ross ran the Silk Road the same way that Jeff Bezos runs Amazon. His employees had to write up reports, put in timesheets, they got promotions and bonuses. Except, of course, two things were very different. Ross's entire workforce was anonymous. And they didn't know that Ross was their boss. They just knew it was a guy who went by the moniker the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah, like from The Princess Bride.
0: I inherited the ship from the previous Dread Pirate Roberts. The man I inherited from was not the real Dread Pirate Roberts either. The name was the important thing for inspiring the necessary fear. You see, no one would surrender to the Dread Pirate West.
1: Okay, and also, here's the other thing that was different. If you order something from Amazon, you get a box with the words Amazon printed all over it, right? But with the Silk Road, they needed your delivery to just look like regular, nondescript mail. And so as one person in the book says, your mailman actually was your drug dealer. He just didn't know it.
0: Yeah, it's, I think, my favorite line in the whole book. Uh, (laughs) The government becomes fully aware of the site after the Gawker article. But, you know, it's chaotic there too on that side of the story. There was a DEA agent in Baltimore who thought it was going to be his big coup to catch this guy. There was an FBI team in New York, a DEA team in New York. There was a young newbie agent from the Department of Homeland Security in Chicago – There were people all over the country. There's an IRS agent in New York also that were trying to do this, and they're not sharing information. And then it turns out that the DEA agent in Baltimore teams up with a secret service guy, and they actually start selling information back to Ross Ulbricht, and they start stealing information, and they start doing these fake murders where they are actually fake murdering people and taking the money. And it literally becomes this story that if it were fiction, you would not believe it. So eventually what happens is there are— undercover agents, both good guys and bad guys, who start working for Ross. So they start developing kind of like a dossier of who he is and what he talks about. And believe it or not, we have these tells in our handwriting and our and in our typed writing at the same time. For example, if I texted you a smiley face, I would use a colon and minus sign and a parentheses, and you maybe wouldn't use the minus sign for the nose, and this, you know, you if I that? would write, <laughs> because most women do not, and most men do use the minus mm. sign. Actually, Ross, for example, instead of writing yes, he wrote y e a, yeah, and he did that as the dry pirate Roberts, and he did that huh. as Ross Ulbricht. And the first time that Ross Ulbricht had registered for one of these sites talking about the Silk Road, he'd accidentally used his real email address, so that when you took that. The FBI eventually found a server, and they had some clues in the server that pointed to someone who lived in San Francisco, Jared Yegan, who was the HSI agent. He was working undercover. And when they started to put all these pieces together and they actually started to work together, they very quickly realized who it was. And then the FBI started trailing him for a couple of weeks until they eventually caught him in a very, very dramatic moment in San Francisco.
1: So the Silk Road and Ross Ulbricht are brought down. And yet now, right now, it's easier than ever to buy these powerful drugs and also weapons online. How that happened in a minute. Stick with Note to Self. It's Note to Self. I'm Anu Zomorodi, and I'm talking to Nick Bilton. He's author of American Kingpin, the epic hunt for the criminal mastermind behind the Silk Road. And it's important to note that before Nick wrote books, he was a tech journalist. And he has some very strong opinions about Silicon Valley, what every startup founder should be thinking when they create a business, and how the original purpose of Tor, that anonymous web browser, has been perverted.
0: It was originally created by the U.S. Navy to be able to make it safer for people to communicate with their loved ones back in America uh, when they were overseas, rather than having, you know, North Korea or some other government snooping on what they were saying. The creators of Tor just a couple of weeks ago said that they are dismayed with what happened with the system they built because it is now 95 percent used for nefarious things like buying and selling drugs and other things like that. And there's no turning that back. When you look at the impact this had, it's a parallel end result that on one side of it, Ross actually succeeded with his goal. There's been studies that have come out that have shown that people buy drugs online because they feel safer and violence is reduced as a result. And then the flip side of it is that teenagers and kids buy drugs online and have overdosed and died. One kid in the book is from Perth, Australia, who takes some bad synthetic drugs from China and overdoses and runs out of a window and dies. And then the other part of the parallel to this is that what's happened and the biggest hurtful thing from this is that there are these labs in China where they're largely unregulated, where people create, you know, synthetic heroin called fentanyl and all these things like 8297B or whatever, all these weird names. And... These synthetic drugs are 50 to 100 times stronger than traditional heroin, and people are buying them on the dark web, and they're paying minuscule amounts of money for them, and they're overdosing and dying. And I think this has been one of the things that has helped contribute to the opioid epidemic that we find ourselves in today.
1: Is that Ross Ulbricht's legacy? That. It happened to be him that first set up a drug online dark web marketplace, but it could have been someone else. It definitely would have been someone else. Was this the way we were going?
0: I think it was the way we were going, and I think it's definitely Ross Ulbricht's legacy. It's the same way that, you know, Travis Kalanick will be the guy who started Uber, even though Uber may not be the company that we use in 10 years to get our rides places. And, you know, Facebook and Twitter were the seminal social networks. Ross Ulbricht will be remembered as the person who started these online marketplaces and where they are today and where they'll be years from now are going to be very different. But he, I think, will be the one that did what he wanted to do, which was be remembered for doing something great. And there will be dark sides to it and light sides. And it's still to be seen which plays out in the future.
1: You just compared Ross to all these Silicon Valley startup bros, I have to use the word. They all have something in common. They are young white men who seem to think that they are the ones who can change society for the better. And in doing so, yes, change our culture drastically, but also seem to neglect to think through some of the consequences.
0: (laughs) Seem to? I mean, they constantly neglect to think through some of the consequences. In fact, I don't recall a time that they have actually tried to anticipate the consequences. (laughs) Um, uh, And I mean that sincerely. You know, I've covered Silicon Valley for over a decade, and it perplexes me beyond disbelief how these companies and these people do not think about how their technologies that they are creating can be used for bad. And I think that it is a massive failure on their part. You know, Facebook started the newsfeed for fun. You know, let's tell your friends what you're doing and you become like a little mini newsfeed feed in a newspaper and they can see that you went for brunch or went for a walk on the beach or played with your dog. And then, of course, fast forward to this last election and Russia hacked into our systems and created fake news and so did a bunch of Americans just for profit and surely changed the outcome of the election in the future forever. Twitter was originally an idea where you could tell your friends you were going out to a club and now it's one of the most divisive, putrid places online. It's in the public sphere at the very least. And I think that this is the case with what Ross set out to do. It's the case with Uber, all these different things. They... Start off with this idea that they're going to fix something and they don't ever think about the repercussions of what will happen when something else comes about and the technology is used in a way that they don't anticipate. And I think they have a responsibility to do that.
1: And some would say, well, how can they? You know, they're 25-year-old guys who are fine economically. They have PhDs in some cases, they're not fully formed adults. How could they possibly know what some of the things that could happen? So so it maybe I'm just positing that maybe it could be something that they could never know. They could never guess. They And they don't have problems that everybody else
0: does. I mean, first of all, most fully formed functioning adults are not actually fully formed functioning adults. But <laughs> I think, look, the reality is that they are mostly privileged white kids from Stanford or something like that or Penn State in Ross's instance or, you know, dropouts from Harvard or whatever. And they are incapable of thinking about the negatives. I remember when 3D printers were first being developed on the scale that they exist today, and I was in the room with a group of people that were working on the MakerBot, which was a 3D printer where you can print out things. And I remember saying, what what are you going to print out? Like, this is so cool. And they said, oh, you're going to be able to make— wall hooks and iPhone cases and so on, what was the first thing people did? A 3D printed plastic gun. And they could never have anticipated because they just were not wired to think that way. But if that's the case, you know, there's two things to this. One is like, Facebook can connect a quarter of the planet together on a network. I mean, the amount of brain power and engineering that must go into that and to do so at the way that they do it with the speed that they do it and the accuracy and the lack of downtime is staggering. So if they can do that, I'm sure that they can think about some of the bad ways that their products are going to be used for. And the other thing is if they can't take your billions of dollars and hire a team of, you know, chief ethical officers whose job it solely is is to think about these things. And I think that If we don't do this today with the technologies that are coming about in the future from driverless cars to artificial intelligence to robotics, the negatives we're going to see as a result of these are going to make today and these elections and these dark web websites look just completely pale in comparison to what's coming.
1: It's interesting. Having read your book while learning more about the opioid crisis and, you know, just horrible, horrible stories about these two 13-year-old boys who overdosed in Colorado yep. and just really, really upsetting. I never really had thought of the growing drug problem that this country has as also a tech problem until I read yeah, absolutely. your book and learned a, about this.
0: You know, I've done a lot of research on the opioid crisis, and it fascinates me. I think it's one of the saddest things that's happening right now with people who don't understand what... It is they're putting in their body, and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And a large part of it, as the LA Times and other places have reported, is a result of OxyContin and drug and big pharma you know, being deceitful as they have been. But there's also the other part of it where we, in the globally connected society we live in today, you have people that say, oh, I can buy this thing called fentanyl, and it's 50 to 100 times stronger than heroin, and it's cheaper. Sure, why not? You know, in 2015, the year that Ross Ulbricht went to trial, by that year, opioid deaths outpaced gun deaths in America for the first time in history, and it's continuing to rise. If you look at it, a big portion of it is actually fentanyl, which is the drug that is being made in China in these labs and being sent over here and all over the world using primarily the dark web to get it there.
1: What's the answer here? I mean, taking down one marketplace doesn't. Seem I thought to you were be- going to say
0: taking down the internet. I was like, no. let's do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, some days I feel that way too. But I mean, I, I don't see one goes down, another comes up. We always hear it's like a game of whack a mole. And is this just the new shitty situation <laughs> that we're in and we have to police what there now is?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's the new situation we're in, and it sucks. But there are solutions, you know, I've never seen—I mean, if anyone should see this, it's me because of my Google history search of, like, looking at fentanyl statistics (laughs) and dark web and stuff. Like, no, I've never seen an ad about, like, education around fentanyl or heroin. Mm. People don't understand—I didn't understand what it was until I really started to research it, until I actually spoke to the family of the kid in Perth who overdosed and died, and learned what NBOM is that didn't exist when I was a kid and how dangerous it is. And and I think that um, there's an education problem that we're not addressing. Again, these technology companies could be helping with this. Mm-hmm. You know, if Tor is primarily being used for the dark web, 95%, maybe it should be rethought. Maybe there should be some key somewhere that certain people have access to or maybe that certain people can't use it. I, you know, I don't know what the answers are specifically, but there are no proposed answers that I've seen being presented. It's just these stories after story of these terrible things that keep happening. And, you know, when it comes to Ross's situation, I've had people who are his defenders who say, well, you know, all he did was run a website. And I just don't think that that's fair. I think that uh, in the same way that I think that the creators of Uber are responsible for the job losses that will come and and Facebook is responsible for the election crisis and Twitter is responsible for the divisive hate that exists online. I think that they all have a responsibility to try to think about how to resolve those issues, and Ross did too.
1: The flip side of being able to hide on tour to spending Bitcoin so that you can't be traced is, on the one hand, it can mean that you can buy very dangerous illegal drugs and run a marketplace like Ross Albrecht did. On the other hand, though, we have more and more fear— recently of people being surveilled or targeted because of, well, all kinds of reasons where they come from, what their beliefs might be. And there is something actually really great that you could use Tor or Bitcoin to not let people see what you are doing. Because frankly, it's a matter of the Fourth Amendment, right to privacy.
0: Yeah. I mean, I honestly believe if you want a right to privacy, you shouldn't be on the internet. I just think that The system has been designed in a way to trace everything we do, and it does, and it does it better than any technology in history. This is why I say I don't think that we should get rid of Tor. I think that we should rethink it maybe, or maybe it's not Tor. Maybe it's some sort of new digital currency, or I don't know. There's all these people thinking about these things, but I just think that, you know, look, the reason that there are certain social media websites where you can remain anonymous is for that exact reason, so that you as a you know, maybe Muslim, immigrant, or whatever it is, can voice your opinion without fear or can share something or can be a part of a group without the fear that the government is going to knock on your door. And there also is the argument about should drugs be legal? And people, if they believe that they should be able to have the opportunity to purchase them in a way that is safe, where I kind of draw the line is I don't see why it has to be all or nothing. I just don't understand why you can't build systems in place to protect the people that you're trying to protect, but also to avoid the nefarious things from happening online as they do. You know, Twitter's 10 years old. They literally have just started putting in filters a year ago for hate speech. I mean, that's just mind-boggling to me. And it still doesn't completely work. I still see people saying things to me on the internet or other people that you just kind of—your mouth drops open. There's this philosophy in Silicon Valley, move fast and break things. Well, you broke things, you know. You kind of broke the system and the way we live and the social norms. And I think that as we build the next versions of technology that are going to literally commandeer our lives in the future, then we should think about the fact that they are going to be used for bad. And rather than be the first to market, why not be the best to market?
1: Nick Bilton, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Congrats on the book. It's truly epic. Thank you. Thank you. Nick Bilton's book is called American Kingpin. It is a great way to understand the knock-on effects that our virtual worlds can have on our offline lives. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Kunane, and Joe Plourd. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoosh Samarodi.
0: I remember one day going for a walk on the beach and there were all these drones flying about and I went for a coffee in the afternoon and a driverless car pulled up with no one inside and like you see these things happen and all people are talking about is their valuation and their and their companies and they're mostly 17 years old and you just you realize this is not how the rest of the world is living.